Okay, welcome back, guys. I'm Maggie. I'm Billy. thank everyone who's listened so far anyone who's given us a rating on itunes we appreciate it we'd love to hear more feedback on if you like it or if you hate it hopefully you like it yeah thank you very much we are trying to move more into a bi-weekly model and your support really kind of helps fuel that in our everyday lives so thank you okay so today we're going to jump into a worker placement a bit for those of you who don't know what worker placement is Billy, do you want to describe it? Yeah, so my favorite way to describe worker placement is basically everyone has a whole bunch of meeples or characters or little dudes, and on your turn you will take your dude and put it somewhere on the board, generally. Now the board is made up of different areas that each will resolve a different effect, so if you want to, for example, draw cards, you could take your dude and put him on the draw card area. Now generally this means that that area a, you get to perform the effect, but B, nobody else can then perform the effect. So some of the main mechanics in worker placement are kind of taking over those specific areas for brief amounts of time and blocking the other players. One of our friends who really likes drafting just calls worker placement location drafting. <laughs> and I think that's because he wants everything to be a draft. If there's any possibility of drafting in a game, we do it. <laughs> <laughs> We're probably not going to talk about any like super basic worker placements, but if you did want to try worker placement, probably Lords of Waterdeep would be a good place to start. Yeah, Lords of Waterdeep's just wonderful. You're trying to accomplish these quests while placing onto the board. Basically, you're it's set in the D and D universe, and you're running a tavern, and the main resource in the game is different adventurers who you send on specific quests. You're basically an NPC in D and D who's sending people on quests. And even though it is set in the universe of D&D, it really does not... Like, I played it before I ever played D&D, and I loved the game. I have the game, and it gets... Honestly, it gets off the hook with the expansion. <laughs> it, it does. Off the hook. Off All the right. hook. I think that's the right way to put it. <laughs> okay. I've never played it, so I can't weigh in on that, unless it's like a fishing... Is it like a fishing expansion? The expansion adds corruption, so you can... There's basically better action spots that will allow you to get more stuff but you also get corruption and corruption is negative points at the end of the game but it's negative points based on how much corruption's in the world if you're the only corrupt person your corruption's not as bad but if everyone goes into corruption each instance of corruption is going to be worse all right billy save it for our expansion episode all right <laughs> <laughs> okay cool so that's ba that's a basic outline of uh worker placement I'm actually, I actually only want to talk about two games that I really feel passionately about. Um, all right. How, all many, right. how many games do you bring? So worker placement is my favorite genre. Mm. It's basically, if I don't know what to play, I'll play a worker placement game because I love them so much. Mm. And I got five I want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I feel like we might, I think one of ours is going to be an overlap. All right. Let's see. So, I mean, well, first actually I'll just start with one because we kind of talked ahead of time about we want to talk about one that's not straying too far from a basic worker placement and that's for me is viticulture oh yeah have you played viticulture billy i have yes i've played viticulture twice i think nice so viticulture is designed by jamie stagmeyer and alan stone 
It is a worker placement game where you are making wine. Making wine and getting the most points, basically. Jamie Stegmaier is the same guy who designed Scythe. And, and Charterstone. And Charterstone. Another worker placement game. Mm. I would say the buildings in Viticulture like give me strong Scythe vibes from just the wooden meeples. It's like a windmill that's exactly the same as the mill yeah. from Scythe. So in Viticulture, you're, it's a worker placement where you're going to be planting grapes, harvesting those grapes, selling them, or turning those grapes into wine, aging them into your wine cellar, giving people tour of your wine cellars for... Uh, money eventually selling them to receive income through every year it takes place over several years until someone eventually gets to 25 points which then triggers the game end it'll end at the end of that year there's also summer and winter visitor cards that you can play that make it a lot very interesting as well some people i play with don't even try to make any wine they just try and get points through visitor cards I can't get away from making the wine, though, when I play. I feel like if you're playing a winemaking game, you should make some wine. I agree. Like, no, but some of my friends, they just immediately, like, sell all their fields and use the money to build their buildings and just, like, go off in all these other ways. So you can totally do that, and I've seen people win like that before, too. I would say that what makes this game a little bit different than a typical worker placement is that you have a grande worker in a worker placement Something annoying that happens is when someone goes somewhere, you cannot go there anymore. What Viticulture does, is it gives you one larger worker that you can still place anywhere that someone's gone before, and then that'll let you still be able to do that action. How many, when you played Viticulture, how many people did you play with? I think I played it with three players both times. Okay. And I, I enjoyed it. I have some mixed feelings about Viticulture, so I'll talk about those in a, oh. in a little bit, because I want to get through the basic conversation about viticulture mm-hmm. before I drop my truth bombs. Wow, I'm not <laughs> ready. <laughs> uh, okay, the only thing I was going to say about player count is when I first started playing viticulture, I was only playing it two-player, and I was like, oh, this is great. I really like this as a two-player. But then as soon as I played it with anything more than two, it unlocks this other space that you can go on where you get a bonus as well, and it just makes the game a lot more interesting when you're also trying to, you're like, I could go here, but I'm not going to get any special bonus there, so I'll go to this other space instead. Yeah, and, and both times that I played that bonus was unlocked. Yeah, exactly. As soon as you play with more than two people, you have that. So if you're playing with two, you can only go in one space at each location. Three or four, there's two spaces, and one of them has a bonus. And five or six, all three spaces are unlocked. And it plays all the way up to six. Wow. Yeah. Have you played it at the full player count? I have played it at the full player count. It's very exciting. That yeah. sounds great. I've only done it one time at the full six, though. But I've done five a couple times, too. I, I just, I like it more with more people. But I think as soon as you hit three and you unlock that bonus slot, then that's when it's best. Also, I would say if you're going to play Viticulture, I'd play... Viticulture came out and then they released the Tuscany expansion. And then they released the Viticulture Essential Edition, which is probably what you play. Because they don't yeah. even print the, like... Uh, original edition anymore and the essential edition just basically took all the like best parts of the tuscany expansion that jamie segmeyer has now said are actually essential to viticulture and put it in viticulture so it adds mamas and papas yeah which i actually really like the mamas and papas because that's what you that's what your starting resources is so it's like your mama and papa have given you these things to start your own vineyard and you get for i think your papa you get like a choice of what you want and your mama you just get coins and workers um. yeah your papa you get like a building to start or you get money and usually the money's more or less the value of the building just yeah. a little bit less i think yeah 
Papa's usually always money or a starting building, which is sometimes very obvious, but sometimes a bit more difficult to decide. I really do like how the buildings work in that game. So you have your own player board and you're building your own buildings on it. And each building that you build is going to unlock either new worker placement spots, abilities so that when you do something, it's a little bit stronger. And they'll even unlock the ability to plant certain wines. So at the beginning of the game, you can't plant grapes. Yeah, I guess you don't plant wine. You plant grapes. <laughs> just bury the wine. There are some you can plant that don't eat anything. They're That's just, true. Like, a bit rare. Yeah, you just can't plant. Oh, you can't plant good grapes. And when you unlock buildings, it's going to let you plant certain grapes. So you're going to be on the hunt for those types of grapes and building buildings to correspond with that. It's a lot of really interesting choice in the early game. Yeah. And I would say you get pretty lucky if you get a grape that doesn't require building. Or sometimes you have a visitor card that just says, yeah, plant two grapes and ignore the building requirements. And that's pretty exciting to get right off the bat. Other differences that the essential one has is it brings in property expansion. I'm actually not entirely sure what this is because I've only ever played the essential. But I think it just means that you can sell your fields for money, which is actually really useful. And I couldn't imagine it without it because... Money is actually kind of hard to come by in the game. Yeah. So the economy is quite tight. Yeah. So if you can't sell stuff, then you're, and you're just going to be spending all your time like giving wine tours for two dollars. It's like not going to you're not going to get money that fast. It also adds an automa and it gives like extra visitor cards as well too. The visitor cards are really exciting depending on when you get them in the game too. Um. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm ready for your controversial opinion on viticulture. So the first time I played it, I I lost, and that immediately makes me dislike game. No. <laughs> um, the first time I played it, I think I, I felt very disheartened by just the pure card draw of the game. I was hunting through the deck for red wine, and red wine is, or red grapes rather, and red red wine is required for most of your orders. There are not a ton of orders that are pure white wine. And all I had drawn through probably eight, nine, ten cards was white grapes. And all of my orders were red wine. So based on that, I genuinely felt like there was nothing I could do apart from hunt for more cards. And it felt really disappointing to just be drawing cards in this game that I was enjoying and this mechanical interaction that I liked. I really liked Viticulture. But I felt like I couldn't do anything and there was, and that wasn't due to a mistake. It was just bad luck. And all games have luck. That's not true. A lot of games I like have luck, but it was just so disparaging and there was like nothing I could do and that sucked. Then the next time I played it, that didn't happen. And I've talked to people who've said that that specific interaction of it, you fishing that many times and never getting anything that can work just doesn't happen but it did that one time which is 50 percent of my knowledge of the game to be honest i have experienced that personally and i found it annoying and i've been in games where someone else is like i just want a white grape and i keep pulling these red grapes so it does seem like that is a problem that it has i don't think it happens super often but then no it definitely does, not. You're right it, it is a big flaw in the game i wish happen. there was just some way in the game to fish through those decks for what you want even if it costs like a lot of time or costs a lot of resources right. to just be able to say nothing has gone my way. Now I need to just spend that extra time right. to get what I need. Yeah. Maybe the idea would be visitor cards because there are a lot of visitor cards that just say like turn up one card from every pile and pick two of them. And that might just be a way to like get through the deck. But again, you have to get the right visitor cards. Yeah. Um, 
Interesting. Okay, yeah, that I I think that's pretty fair judgment. And, and it's I've not that it's not a huge criticism of the game. It's just it sucked to have this like strategy game that I felt like I lost because of luck. That makes sense. Because I really enjoy playing games and losing games when I'm like, oh, you got me there. <laughs> um, but there, I just felt like, oh, I I lose. And, and I, I think encourage you to play it again. I, I will. I definitely will. I really taste in your mouth. It's it's not really a sour taste. It's just that interaction sucked, mm. and it's sad to me that this game that I seem I, I really enjoyed has the ability to offer that sour interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just said it wasn't sour, and then I said it was sour. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay. Yeah. Well, that's viticulture. Do you want to move over to one of yours? Sure. So. As I mentioned, worker placement is my favorite mechanic. And I really like a game that takes worker placement and does something else with it. So first I want to talk about Alchemists by Matu Kotri or Mattis Kotri. I'm not quite sure. This is when people are like, hey, what's your favorite game? I say Alchemists. So Alchemists, have you played it? I have not played Alchemists, but I have heard you. I've heard people ask you and I have asked you and you have said Alchemists is your favorite game. I don't play it a lot because it's... It's one of the games that if I'm playing it with somebody, I can't, there's no possible way that I have found to teach it while playing it. You need to front load all of the information about the game. And that's a lot of information. Essentially, my little five second pitch of Alchemist is that it's a worker placement game that is a two hour long logic puzzle. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So essentially, you have eight different elements in the world, and those elements are things like toadstools and mandrakes and leaves and flowers and each of them has a certain alchemical like makeup of it of red blue and green elements that will either be positive or negative and your goal is to find out the alchemical makeup of all eight of those elements to score points and do they vary game to game they vary game to game the game is app assisted so you will have an app that will determine the alchemical properties and then hide it from everyone Without the app, you would need to have a, like, third party consulting a graph. Okay. Which doesn't seem like a great way to (laughs) play the game to me. And, like, all of the work you're doing throughout the game is in the aims of discovering those alchemical properties. The worker placement mechanisms in the game are another thing that I really like. So just like Viticulture, we didn't really talk about this, but Viticulture has a mechanic where you get to bid on how early you like wake up to see who goes first in the round and alchemist has that as well like a very similar mechanic but the big change in alchemist is that whoever decides to wake up last to go last gets first choice of worker placement spots okay but doesn't resolve them then the next player goes and chooses then the next player goes and chooses and the next player goes and chooses and you can never block someone from a worker placement spot okay but after everyone's chosen, they resolve from the right. first to last. So whoever chose first resolves last. And a lot of these spots are going to change based on other people doing them. So if I go to the pick resources spot, but then three people do it after me, I might not necessarily get the resource that I was hoping to get when I chose that spot. Okay. It's really cool. And there's stuff like, there's free things that if somebody else messes it up for you, now those things cost money. Oh, damn. Okay. So it's really interesting. You have to balance, Mm. well, I get more benefits for going quote unquote last, (laughs) but then I maybe lose things along the way. Mm. It's 
Such a wonderful little game. How many does it play? It plays up to four and... What would you recommend playing? I have played it at two, three, and four. And I think three or four is better. Mm. Two players just seem... Two players is a little bit more like a chess game. So I played this game with my sister who was doing her masters at the time. Hi, Steph. Shout out. (laughs) And she said that this game very much felt like doing a masters. Oh, wow. <laughs> because you can, you're, you're essentially doing research throughout the game. Did you feel like, you're like, okay, nice. Now I don't need to go back to school. Yeah. Like, done <laughs> yeah, I got a times. master's in board games. <laughs> <laughs> so you are, throughout the game, you can publish papers saying, hey guys, I really believe that the alchemical property of Mandrake is blue positive, red negative, green negative. And then everyone else can be like, well, I support him. And they can endorse your paper or they can dispute it and refute it. And if they endorse it and you're right, do they like get to, how do you, if you know the properties of one thing, like can't everyone else just know it and then that would help them win? Yes. But I can also publish the alchemical property of something and be wrong. So just blatantly saying, oh, he posted this, now I know this, isn't going to help you. Right. So the reason it's so hard to teach alchemists is because everything's hidden information. You have a screen, and behind that screen you're going to have a little chart where you're going to be recording, well, I I know this information about this right. thing. So when you say you're like, it's hard to teach someone during the game, it's just because anytime you help them, it's hurting your game. Well, anytime, if they have a question, if they say, hey, I just combined these ingredients and got this result. And you're like, oh, sucker, you shouldn't have told me that. Yeah, because but. I'm not supposed to know any right. of that. So I can't give actual help during a game. And like, I've played the game before where somebody has, on turn one, done a certain thing that gave them information and then recorded the information wrong and had wrong information for the rest of the two hours. Oh, that is devastating. It's devastating. It is. Oh no! What did you say at the end? I I, I felt bad, but there, like we were done the game. <laughs> and you had won, and you had received your masters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, I it it kind of sucks that the game has that limit on. It's very difficult mm. to teach and learn because you need to front load everything. Yeah, that seems like something you'd want to play. Like, you'd be like, I can't wait to play this again. It just kind of sucks that the first time it takes, like, two hours and you have to be, like, kind of going through this learning experience. Yeah, and the second time it takes two hours. And the third time it takes two. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so this is my favorite game. I love the logic puzzle. I love the interaction between players of I'm publishing this paper (laughs) saying that Mandrake is that. But if I'm wrong, I lose points. But if you endorse me and it's wrong, you lose points. Like, Mm. it's a really Mm. cool little interaction. (laughs) Yeah, it's just so wonderful. It's perfect. Okay, should we move on? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. No, absolutely. I think it's time. Where should we go? I think you should keep going just because I only have one more. And I feel like like you might talk about it. Okay. Or you might talk about a blanket. Yeah, we're, well... So we're going to talk about Shem Phillips, it sounds like. (laughs) Um, Shem Phillips designed the next game I want to talk about, and probably the next game Maggie's going to bring up. Uh, So I have on my list Raiders of the North Sea. And Maggie, have you played Raiders of the North Sea? I have played Raiders of the North Sea. And what did you think? Honestly, that's not the game I want to talk about by Shem Phillips. I know. Okay, yeah, I, I do like it. Just not as much as some other Shem Phillips games. But, I mean, 
I really like it. I honestly have only played it a couple times and I've never really felt like, oh my god, I'm so excited to play this game again. I did like it though. And I do like the interesting take on worker placement. I always felt like it ended before I wanted it to, which I feel like in a lot of games, but this one's I really felt unsatisfied with the ending. I just wanted to keep going and keep playing and keep working on what I was building. But do you want to talk a bit about the game? Yeah, that makes sense. Why don't you give us the, what's the, what's the twist in this game? This game has a twist on worker placement. So in this game, you're going to place a worker down somewhere, do the action for that place, and then select a worker at a different location and do the do the action at that place. All There are three different types of workers, white, black, and gray, I think, and each location requires a certain color of worker. So if you want to be able to place something in a white location, you're going to need to make sure that you collect a white meeple before the next turn, basically. Yeah, or hopefully pull a white meeple that's already there off the board. Yes, exactly. I think the the little twist here really excited me the first time I played it because I'd never seen someone twist worker placement in this way. Because I always think about worker placement as you have a whole bunch of meeples, what are you going to do with them? And this is, you got one. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's a really cool little twist. So in Raiders of the North Sea, there's the board that's on the south half of the board and that's kind of your worker placement area you can either place meeples down there or you can go raiding now when you go raiding you're going to raid north of the sea <laughs> and north not north of the sea what do you we're mean to raid the north sea it's actually north of the sea because most of the things are on land oh yeah i wish it was point. just all in sea there's six harbors or nine harbors but th i guess those are the when you're doing those you're raiding the north sea <laughs> and that's what the game's about <laughs> So um, if you raid, you're going to spend your entire turn to just trade your meeple for resources using your crew. So it's also like card driven and you have this crew that you're working on building and recruiting using the worker placement board and bringing that crew on the raids to try to score points. I like it because you never have to worry about in this game, oh my god, how am I going to get my workers back or how am I going to like, <laughs> like, oh no, I don't have enough workers to finish this turn. I like that part of it too. I feel like I just haven't figured that game out yet because I haven't given it enough of a try yet. Yeah, I think you should. I also think you'll really like Hall of Heroes, the one expansion. Mm. Uh, to be honest, I haven't played any of the other... Like, I haven't done Explorers of the North Sea. What's the third one? Shipwrights. I haven't done any of those. I really want to do the Rune Saga. Of all... Th yeah. Yeah, doing all three in, like, a campaign. Yeah. We and should do that before we do our expansion episode. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the one I want to talk about by Shen Phillips <laughs> is Architects of the West Kingdom. Compared really? Raiders, I'm shocked. <laughs> compared to Raiders, do you like Raiders more than Architects? I think I like the twist in Raiders more than I like the twist in Architects. Yeah, okay. But I like the game. I like Architects as a game better. I don't know. I I think first play of Architects... The first play of... My first play of Architects was more recently than my first play of Raiders. I played Raiders back in 2017. And Architects I just played uh, for the first time last November. And I remember being more excited about that first play of Architects. But looking back, I was so excited about the first play of Raiders. It might just be one of those perception of time things where... I remember being excited about Architects a little bit more than I remember mm. being excited about Raiders. But also, you're probably excited about Architects because of Raiders. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. And Raiders was my favorite game from 2017. Mm. I loved it. All right, so do you, want, do you want to segue into Architects of the West Kingdom? I think we already are, Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> Who designed it? Uh, Shem Phillips and S.J. McDonald. Is S.J. McDonald 
on the first three at all or no? Not that I'm aware of. I will use the internet and find out. Okay, cool. Well, I'll talk a bit about it. So Architects of the West Kingdom is a worker placement. The twist on this one is each location, the more you'll place a worker. You have a lot of workers to begin with. I can't remember how many. It's like 20 or 20. Oh, I think. So you'll have 20 workers and there's a lot of different locations. One thing about this game is every single time I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I have so many regrets, but you're placing workers. And if you place a worker somewhere where you already have a worker, it just gives you an additional benefit. If it's resources, you'll get more of those resources. If you're going to the bank, you'll get more coins. If you're going to hire an apprentice, you'll have more options of what apprentice what apprentices to hire based on how many workers you have there. So yeah, what's cool about it is just the more workers you have, the more you can do at each location. There is one action that you can do to like get a worker back, but I've never used that action. Have you? Oh, that, so just if all of your workers are out, you can just take one back. It's just bad. Yeah, no, but I mean, that is like an option of what you can do, but you're never going to have to do it because another part of the game is that you can, uh, I can't remember what it's called, like not city hall, like the town center or whatever, and you can arrest groups of other players' meeples or your own meeples to get them back and then sell them to prison for coins. (laughs) Uh, I really like that player interaction too. And then to get your meeples back, you can either go to prison to release them from prison, or you can just break them out of other players' like holding cells that they have them in in order to get them back. And then that's the way you can get like a big group of them versus wasting an action just to get one meeple back. I like that you can just go to prison and be like, no, they're with me. And the prison guards are like, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to pay anything. You don't pay anything. There's no negative. <laughs> you just leave a guy near prison. Yeah, that's true. And then also another thing that's interesting is the game actually ends based on every time you build a building or work towards the cathedral, which we'll talk about more in a second, you leave a dude behind, like on like the game end track, basically. And so it means that you're getting closer to the game end so everyone can kind of see how close you are. But it also means that you now don't have that worker to place. So the more you build and the more you're working towards getting points the less uh, less workers you'll have to play the game. Did you find out about the designer? Yes, I did, Maggie. Uh, yeah, so S.J. McDonald doesn't have a huge biography of games he's designed, but he is working on Paladins of the West Kingdom as well. Which is on, is it currently kickstarted or kickstarting? Or? It has been kickstarted, mm-hmm. and I think delivery is happening later on this year when Paladins of the West Kingdom is out and Maggie and I both get our own individual Kickstarter copies. We will talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, so excited. That's probably the game I'm most excited for coming out this year. One thing that I don't like about this game is, sorry, two things I don't like about this game. And before I get into it, I'll say just one aspect of it is there's a virtue track, basically, and when you go down on the virtue track and you're less virtuous, you can evade taxes and you can go to the black market and what? This game just sounds so great when you just break it down to the description. <laughs> you can go to the black market, collect resources, like, cheaper and for free, because it is really difficult to acquire resources and it takes a lot of worker investment to get them. Yeah. And then if you're higher up on the virtue track, you actually can't even go to the black market, but you'll be getting more points at the end of the game, basically based on the virtue track, the higher up you are, uh, the more you build the cathedral, the more virtuous you are, and the more unvirtuous you are, or the lower you are on the virtue track, you won't be able to build the cathedral at all. So I really like this element of it because you can just go, okay, I'm just gonna be so, like, I'm just gonna 
tank my virtue, go for the black market, and play that, that sort of game. There are some buildings you can build that are actually going to give you points for the, the lower you are on the virtue track. But I just every game that I have played, it has made going for the cathedral and just being virtuous the whole time, trying to keep your dudes out of prison, and just focusing on getting that virtue up and building the cathedral, that player has won every time. Really? Yes. And then the other thing I would say that has, uh, that this game has two different types of setups. You can just play where everyone starts at the same place, or you can play with this asymmetrical setup. And I think we will have an episode in the future about asymmetrical setups in games. But for this game, the asymmetrical setups, again, every time there's one person who starts with really high virtue and their bonus is they just don't have to pay a tax dollar on anything. And every time I've played with someone playing that role, that person has won. So I do feel like the asymmetrical setups now, I wouldn't recommend it. I would always just recommend everyone starting in the same spot. I know. I keep trying to play this game with you or with other people in our friend group. And they're like, nope, no asymmetrical setup. I just want to try it a few more times. I mean, I'd be down to do it again for two reasons. One, to see if anyone can actually beat that player yeah. if it's just too yeah. big. Or to just play it without that character. Ooh, like try a, like a four-player game without that role. Yeah, because I've played the person, I think I think her name is Therese. It is and, Therese. And she's uh, <laughs> lowest on the virtue track. And she, I can't remember what her benefit is. I think every time she goes to the black market, she gets like a gold or something. And I've played it before, and I thought I did an okay job, but I didn't do well in the game. And I've seen other people play it before, and they do the same thing, where they're trying to make it work, and they're trying to make this whole, like, system work together with the black market uh and with deck cards and it just doesn't work and they the other player that's just going all virtue cathedral and doesn't have to pay a tax dollar always will win hmm. i don't know if i've had i haven't noticed the same experience in my games and i've i've played a decent amount i think you've probably played a little bit more than i have but i've played seven or eight times now and I haven't noticed that pattern. Not to say it isn't there. I just... So I haven't really noticed that from my plays, but I also am bad at the game. Like, I just... Every time I play it, I don't really know how to win. I feel that too. I feel every time I play it, I'm like, oh, I'm making so many mistakes. I don't know what I'm doing. And also, when it gets to the end of the game and you're trying to build a building and you're just going to place a worker to collect like one piece of wood it just feels bad yeah but but that's why that's how you got to play the game i don't know yeah i just haven't i haven't figured it out i feel like i have figured raiders out a little bit and maybe that's to speak to the difference between the games raiders seems to be a little bit more streamlined in how all the pieces come together but i just i don't i don't have any idea about architects but i kind of like that too i like yeah. a game that it's i'm having a really hard time figuring out because it just makes me want to play it more and more and more until i figure it out but yeah that's architects that sounds like a good segue actually into, into uh, feast for odin i have not played feast for odin yet really yes i've really been wanting to i you talk about it all the time uh, our friends talk about it all the time i've always wanted to play it well how much time do you have like right now? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I actually don't have any plans. Shall we? Let's do it. All right. We'll be this. right back after this. Let the feast begin. So how was that, Maggie? It was good, but I got destroyed. Well, I 
I've played it before. Uh, so that was Feast for Odin that we just played. You weren't there, so we'll tell you a little bit about it. It is a worker placement game that at the very beginning of the game, you set it up, there are 63 worker placement spots available to you. Most worker placement games that I've played have, I would say, sub 20 spots, but Feast for Odin just says, here's 63. Deal with that. Good luck. Uh, how would you describe it, Maggie? Patchwork the work worker placement game, I guess? Yeah, that makes sense. They're both by Uwe Rosenberg. It was really good. I feel like in the beginning I was like kind of caught up on the theme and trying to fit, work everything in. And then I realized halfway through, okay, no, this is just me. I need to try and fill up my board as fast as possible. And by that point, it was too late to do so. Yeah, it, <laughs> the game really does ramp up because... So you have a board in front of you that is tile-based and much like patchwork, you're filling it in, but you're filling it in with different goods and resources. But throughout the game, filling up that area is going to gain you more income and income is something that you can use to continue filling up that board. So by the mid game, Maggie was behind on income. So I was, it, it snowballs a bit. But it was really good. I'm excited to play again. You're right though, like that when you're saying 63 worker placement places, it was really overwhelming in the beginning. And it was funny because Billy, Billy, we played with the expansion as well. And Billy's like, can't you see how much the expansion streamlines it? I'm like, ah, what? Are well, I think the base game actually has a few more spots available in a two-player game. The expansion is a board that changes parts of it based on the player count. So with two players, it removes some of the redundancies. But in a four-player game, you need them because people are taking up more space. So we played with the expansion board and actually a few less worker placement spots just to, just because it's better. Mm. The, the expansion fixes a few things, combines a few spots, really streamlines the experience. <laughs> I also feel like in, in a lot of other games where feeding your like workers is a part of it, I feel like I'm always like, okay, I need to make sure I have enough food. And then in this game, like... I didn't really have to worry about it because there yeah. was so much food just coming at me. But then I was worrying about it at the beginning and just made it so that I always had too much food. Yeah, you had you had a lot of food. <laughs> Where like Agricola Well it's a feast for Odin. It is a feast Billy. for Odin. You're correct. It's not like a light afternoon <laughs> yeah. snack but it for was Odin. A light afternoon snack. That's all they wanted when I was preparing a feast. Yeah. I, I find that I only ever need to do two or three actions throughout the game to get food. Mm. I had to do more in this game because I was building houses. But anyway, let's take a step back and kind of walk through what the game is like for those who haven't played it. So there's a worker placement board, which, as we talked about, has about 63 spots on it, more or less given the expansion. And you also have your own individual board, which has the like, grid on it, which you want to fill it, fill up with different tiles throughout the course of the game. The worker placement board is divided into rows, which are what type of action it is. So there's like building houses and going sailing and doing different stuff. Uh, the livestock market and the columns represent A, the strength of that action and B, how many workers that action space requires. So if you want to do the fourth column of a given action, it's going to cost you four workers. So you have so many workers. You have 12 workers in this game that you play over the course of seven rounds repeatedly. You get a lot of workers out there, but some of your actions are really expensive. You digesting it? <laughs> I'm still taking it all in. I get that. Yeah, it was very good. But I mean, it, it took me a few rounds to realize, okay, the point of this game is just to get the tiles on the board. Yeah. And 
there are certain tiles that you can't put on the board. And also, halfway through the game, I realized, okay, if my score isn't a negative value, it will be a miracle. And it wasn't, but it was still not great. <laughs> yeah, I've seen I've seen people score negatives before. That's I would not say that's indicative of particularly strong play, <laughs> but it does happen. And like, especially that first play when you're figuring things out, to not realize how to build an engine in this game to not realize I need to do this to get this thing to provide for this action. If you lose any efficiency in this game, like it tanks your score mm. and it just makes sense to lose efficiency when you don't know how the engine works. Yeah. I'm already thinking about everything I would do if I were to play it again. But that's another thing too is um, I don't really, well, actually, I don't know. I don't know what, I think I know what your next game that you're going to talk about is. But there are games where you start with so few workers that you're like, how is this game even going to last like more than an hour? Feast for Odin's not like that because you start with a good amount of workers and you're only getting more workers. But there are like quite a few spaces that cost four. I don't think I actually ever played on any space that cost four because the expansion also adds this last lane where you can only spend two workers and get to play a card. So yeah. like anytime I wanted to play a card, I was like, I'm just going to wait and go at the end there, which also could have been part of my downfall, but... <laughs> <laughs> the first time I got crushed at the game, so I, I learned it in a game cafe, learned it and played it, and that took four hours, but I, I felt like I was starting to figure things out, then I played it again, and I won both those first two games, then I played it against somebody who crushed me, and all they did was play the four worker spaces. The whole time? Well, obviously not, but they yeah. played a lot of them. And I was like, this is way more than I would have thought is valuable. Oh, wow. And they just destroyed me. So I clearly don't fully understand value in the game yet. But even that seems even hard because a lot of the four value, the four worker places, they still cost a significant amount to be able to play on them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot to take in. Yeah. <laughs> but it was very good. It was very good. If you like patchwork and worker placement then this is a game for you. Yeah, it was described to me as... So, like, Uwe, Uwe Rosenberg, he's designed a lot of games. So he designed Agricola, and then he was like, Agricola was good, and then he designed Caverna, and he's like, Caverna's a little bit better. And then he was like, I'm going to take everything I learned from those games, add a grid, and do Feast for Odin. So it's kind of like the next step in that line. Mm. Also, here's a fun fact about a Feast for Odin. I was working at a board game store when a Feast for Odin first came out, we got, I think, 30 cases of it, 20 cases of it, something around there. And about a third of them were damaged because the game is just so heavy that every middle copy, it's packaged in a box that contains three of them, but every middle copy was damaged just from the sheer weight of oh other copies of the game. <laughs> I was like, oh, Z-Man, you did not do a good job. <laughs> Sending this out. But they, they sent replacements to the store, so... What'd you do with the damaged copy? I uh, sent them back. Oh, wow. So there's probably a surplus of damaged copies of A Feast for Odin on some, like, board game black market. <laughs> and, you know, I'd pay 50 bucks for a damaged Feast for Odin. Yeah, me too. How much does it cost, like, new and undamaged? Uh, about $108 Canadian. Yeah. It's a pretty big box. Yeah. A lot of a lot of content in it too. Like it's just it's heavy. There's a lot of cardboard in that box. Mm. Is there any? Okay, so other than the like bonus actions at the end, what else did the expansion add? Expansion adds a new type of animals. So in the base game, you have sheep and cows. 
and in the expansion it adds pigs and horses horses are like bigger animals but the pigs are little they are there's this weird shape that you don't really find anywhere else in the game and they breed very quickly so if you have played patchwork and if you've played agricola you can probably come up with some weird combination of how this game works by just mashing the two ideas together (laughs) which is in fairness what Uwe did. Mm, absolutely. I like how much of you right now is you just like staring a little forlornly down going, what do I do? <laughs> Next time, what happened? I know, like what could I have done different? But no, I just, I'm excited to play it again now. Because even like you were building, you had your full normal board done and you had your side one and then you're buying all these buildings and filling them out too. And I was just struggling to get my main board. And then I, you, cause you said in the beginning, it's hard to win unless you, what are they called? Like an island? Or uh, exploration board. An exploration board. So I bought one of those, but then found, found it difficult to fill that and my main one too. Yeah. One board's not enough for Uwe. So there's your main board, which you can fill in. There's these exploration boards, basically bringing your Vikings to settle Newfoundland, uh, Shetland Islands, the Faroe Islands, all that stuff. You can get these like little sideboards, which will give you new things that are themed after the islands they're (laughs) about, which is really cool. cool. And there's also these buildings that you can build. And I have gone down so many different strategies. So many times I've played, I have gone like full cattle before I've gone full, exploration boards and this one i tried to go like full houses it's it's really cool there's always different ways to go about it Mm. oh well it worked okay well we don't have too much time left but you've got one more game you want to talk about yeah i probably got one i want to talk about and one i want to just like shout out okay so i want to talk about everdell yeah i knew that was one that was coming i love everdell um it's by james a wilson and you've played it a few times, I have right? Played it. Everdell has my favorite meeples, I think, of any game too. Yeah. I really Which ones? Like just all of them. Oh, all, all the of little them. animals on them. I like the little. What? Is it? It's mice. It's squirrels. It's turtles. And hedgehogs. And hedgehogs. And whenever you play with Billy, he doesn't let anyone else play the turtles. Yeah, I, I'm. That's gonna change though, because the, there's an expansion coming that's bringing a few new. I think three new meeples. What are they? starlings axolotls and something else okay other than something else those other two words were words i don't understand at all (laughs) starling it's just a little bird oh okay okay Uh, and axolotl is i honestly i've read the word i don't know what an actual axolotl is uh, if you are f- super familiar with axolotls, please just send us a photo of an axolotl <laughs> um, because we don't know. Well, yeah. why do they go from turtles, hedgehogs, squirrels, and mice to, I, I don't even, axolotls? Yeah, A-X-L-O-L-T-L-E. Uh, <laughs> no, that'd be lolltol. L-O-T-L-E. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was a Kickstarter. Maybe the Kickstarter voted on it. Mm. I don't know. Mm. All right, well, let's get into Everdell a bit. Do you want to talk a bit about the gameplay? Yeah, Everdell is a worker placement kind of tableau building game where it's super card driven and your goal is to play workers out in order to build this tableau in front of you. So you're trying to get cards out and build a city that can be up to 15 cards. And now that city can be filled with worker, uh, not workers, sorry, critters or constructions. 
and you want to try to bring some critters and constructions that are going to be worth a lot of points out while also scoring points through the worker placement mechanisms on the board. And it's also on this beautiful tree board. Oh, it's outstanding. I, I, when I bought it, I impulse bought it on looks. Oh, really? You've yes. never played it before? I've never played it before. And I, I heard people say Everdell's amazing. Mm. I didn't know how it played. I didn't know anything about it. Mm. I just saw it at, I think, Gen Con. And I was like, I need this. Mm. Yeah, I feel like when I saw you setting it up for the first time, I just said, oh, wow, that looks amazing. The one thing I actually, I don't like about, I like all the components of Everdell. And I do like this, like the berries. I like that they're... They got like a good consistency. They're like kind of springy or gooey. I yeah. don't know. But the other thing is I don't think they're going to like stand the test of time. Like I think if you played enough, those are going to get disgusting. Maybe you'll just need to wash the berries. Okay, so just like I, you wash real fruit. I had this conversation a couple days ago and someone said the same thing. Like how do you wash that? What do you mean? Put them in a colander, run them under some water. How often do you wash your other game components. I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever washed game components apart from when you spilled things all over my games. Wow. <laughs> you didn't have to wash No, those. I didn't. I just had to dry it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, the berries, I just feel like they're going to get dirty and yeah, maybe you can wash them, but I don't imagine that going well. I think it's worth it. All yeah. the components in Everdell have a different uh, texture feel which is super cool mm. um, and I think while I would not describe the game as accessible in in like any definition of the word I think the components are accessible and I think that's cool I also just like the heavy text on cards element of it and how the cards work together I like that a lot too and one thing that Everdell is a perfect example of a game where you start with two meeples and it's two right it's two yeah and you're like and there's four, it takes place over four seasons. Yep. And you're like, how is this a heavy strategy game? I only have two workers to place here. And then by the end, you're like, oh, okay, like that's how, because then you're going off. Also, I really like that in between seasons, when you're done, you say you're going to prepare for season. Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly, thematically, Everdell, I almost talked about Everdell in our storytelling mm. in games because I think that while Everdell is not a campaign, it is not a legacy game, it has so much story in it mm. like everything looks beautiful you're playing the game and you feel like you're creating a town with these characters because you're just so immersed in that theme and that story mm. and i think that's a great accomplishment mm. the artist did incredible job on everdell um but just to jump into the mechanics a little bit more everdell you got three options for what to do on your turn you can either play one of your workers to one of the worker placement spots on the board or worker placement spots in people's towns, which will pop up throughout the course of the game. You can play a new card, paying the cost and getting any effect from playing that card. Or you can, as Maggie mentioned, prepare for the next season. When you prepare for season, do you take all your workers back? So yeah, you're going to get all your workers back. You're going to get a benefit based on which season you're preparing for. There's like these buildings that activate between certain seasons. And during the summer preparation, you get more cards. But yeah, it's also not going to be happening concurrently. I can prepare for the next season while you're still on the previous season. But then that's that's kind of pretty good, though, because if I just, like, outwit, outlast, outplay you, then you're preparing for season, and then all those spots you clogged up are open now for me to take. Yeah, and if especially when that actually works for both of us, because then by the time I'm done that next season, 
or by the time you're done that season, I'm on my next season with workers back. So you oh, can kind right, of right. hop out of sync with players so that you have different, that you have access to things that they mm-hmm. block for certain periods, just not the periods you need them. It's really cool. And it really uses resource management and card management and hand management along with worker placement mechanics to make a really interesting little beautiful game. It's very beautiful. Yeah. I've played it a lot. Uh, not as lot, not as much as some of the some of my friends who have, who are like obsessed with it, mm-hmm. but I think it's an incredibly good game. And I, anytime someone's like, "You want to play Everdell?" I'm usually like, "Yeah, let's do it." Well, now now I really want to play that. Shall we take a break? Yeah, be right back after this. <laughs> uh, and then before we move into like our next little things, I do want to very quickly shout out Underwater Cities. By Vladimir Suchi. I was wondering if you were going to talk about this one. Yeah, like I was planning on fully talking about it, but we're we're we've been talking for a while now, yeah. so I'll just quickly shut it out. It changes worker placement mechanics by also giving you like this hand of cards to manage, and the cards all have colors. They will either be green, red, or orange. Now or yellow. I don't know. Now the worker placement spots are also either green, yellow, or red. And when you play onto one of those spots. You must play a card from hand. If the card matches the color of the spot, you get to do the effects on the card. If it doesn't, you just discard the card. So you have these different spots around the board, some of which are just blatantly stronger than the other spots. But you need to manage what you're doing based on the cards that you have, and you're building this little city. It's so wonderful, and it's really gone and made it interesting to have these different strength areas accompanied by different strength cards. And you might really want to do a certain thing, but not have the cards that are going to make that action as efficient as possible. Yeah, that I really liked. I really enjoyed playing that game too, especially because you could do so many different things. And also it kind of redefines like, because in other worker placements, if someone takes a spot you wanted, that really sucks. But in this one, if someone takes the spot you wanted and now you have to go somewhere else and you don't have a card that matches that color and you just have to discard randomly, that feels really bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, you kind of need to, I find, plan around that. Like, even if there's a spot you really want to go to, if you're going to end up potentially getting all three of the same color cards in hand, mm-hmm. you want to avoid that. You want to, like, kind of preemptively go somewhere else to get rid of the cards that you don't need. It's... You're also building this little underwater, like, empire city. city. This under... Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally underwater city. Yeah. Um... Aptly named. <laughs> Yeah, I like that part too. It looks really good. And that one, how many does it go up to? It plays to four, but the four-player game took us like two and a half, three yeah. hours. Yeah. Plus the teach. And that was that was a lot. I think I, I've played it quite a few times at two since, and I've really enjoyed it at two. Mm-hmm. I think two or three is really where the game shines for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe three. Wait, for Face for Odin, how many does that go up to? It goes up to four. And does it make it longer at four? It makes it longer at four, but not like a ton longer it gets longer but underwater cities i found just got so much longer yeah, it was very long feast for also is going to take longer with two players than underwater cities would with two players mm-hmm. so maybe they'd be about the same time i don't know i, I just feel like feast for Odin's a little bit more worth it like when i play feast for Odin, i'm investing that time yeah absolutely and when i play underwater cities i didn't really want it to be four hours yeah when underwater cities i felt like i was often waiting for my turn versus feast for Odin when it was my turn i was like oh my god i wish i had more time to think yeah that's a yeah. good way to put it because you have that puzzle that you're figuring out yeah where underwater cities you 
there's less puzzly it's more like what action am i doing yeah even though both games are very like you're doing your own thing versus architects of the west kingdom where you have to be paying attention to what everyone's doing in case they're arresting your guys or in case they're going to reset the black market and you're gonna have to get some debt we talked about a lot of different types of worker placement yeah all right cool so i guess that kind of concludes our main content for worker placement and now let's move to our rules we got wrong segment awesome do you have a rule you got wrong today i do yeah i do as well why don't you lead us off all right well i was going to talk about viticulture because the first time i played viticulture i got a rule wrong i was playing with my friend and we both well we watched a video actually on how to play it and i guess we just didn't really pay attention enough and we thought that when you planted your grapes after you harvested them for the first time, you had to discard them. So Oh. Yes. So when you plant your grapes, they stay there the whole game unless you uproot them for some reason. And you can just harvest them over and over again and get more and more grapes from them. But we were playing where you had to, once you harvested them, you remove them. You had to plant new grapes, which actually made it drastically more difficult. Yeah, and, and it's going to... It's going to kill the pacing of the game isn't it absolutely so we played that first time only played it one time like that and to be honest i was kind of drunk on wine because we were like we're playing viticulture let's drink a bunch of wine so then the next time we went to play i was like i don't remember it let's watch this video again and then we realized oh wait we played that wrong so luckily it wasn't like a devastating i played this game my whole life wrong um (laughs) Is that what yours is about to be? No, 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 don't worry. <laughs> All right, so yeah, that was my rule I got wrong. Awesome. Mine is also about a game we talked about today. Ooh. Mine's about Everdell. Okay. So in Everdell, there's a whole bunch of different types of cards. Didn't go super in detail to the card management. That's not really what today was about. But there's one type of card that is called a production building or a production critter. And those are going to activate when you prepare for... I think it's spring and when you prepare for autumn. So those have specific abilities that basically if you get them out earlier, they're going to get to do more things throughout the game. And that's how we played them. And I was like, that was good. They weren't super good. Green buildings, I felt, were a little weak. Unless you played them right away. Unless you played them in that first two workers that you Mm -hmm. got. If you started the game with a green building and played it right away, very good. I was like, these are great. That's not how the buildings work. (laughs) The buildings activate, yes, at those two times. They also activate when played, which is massive. (laughs) That's going to make these buildings activate usually at least 100% as often. (laughs) Because you play it, you will usually prepare for a season after that. You're not usually going to get it out before the first preparation. But if you do, you get to activate it three times instead of the two that we were playing. It's massive. Green buildings are great. And we thought they were garbage. I actually know that you said that. I don't know if I've ever, because you taught it to me. And I'm only I know. playing with you. I don't know if I've ever played it the right way. And I remember thinking, oh my God, if I don't get this green building out now, then it's useless yes. for the one time that it's going to... <laughs> exactly. Damn <it>, <laughs> They're way better than that. <laughs> uh, so we played, I think, three or four games like that. It was It was one of the cases of, I read the rules very quickly at the game night that we were trying to play it at to try to set it up just glanced over the activate on play text and i ruined maggie's entire everdell experience who who knows how many other people's yeah how many people have you taught the game to none okay we're good (laughs) (laughs) 
Alright, so that's our rules we got wrong. And now let's talk about something nerd adjacent that we've been enjoying. Alright. What are you doing? So I was going to talk about Game of Thrones. Okay. And I've specifically been not asking you what your thoughts were on the finale outside of this so that we could talk about it here. Okay. I'm already stressed that you like Are it. there going to be spoilers here? Uh, Why don't we come back to yours at the very end? So we'll do everything else and then the Game of Thrones talk will be the last thing we do. Cool. That way people who don't want to hear about it can just kind of turn off the episode. I love it. Awesome. So my nerd adjacent thing is Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go, okay. Yeah. I, was for, I was wondering if you were going to do a Detective Pikachu thing. No, no. Yeah. Detective Pikachu was fine. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's hear about Pokemon Go. Uh, so I got so I played Pokemon Go back when Pokemon Go first came out. I was in Windsor at the time, Windsor, Ontario. Shout out Windsor. <laughs> and I was playing Pokemon Go because I was working. I wasn't in school at the time because it came out during the summer. And I was just having a good time going around campus at Windsor. And I had a great time playing Pokemon Go because it kind of when it first came out, so many people were playing it and it really built this like community in the area. I'm really excited for this story. <laughs> no, it's not really a story. But then I stopped playing because slowly I and most of the people around me realized that the game sucked. <laughs> that it wasn't much of a game. Last like April, I got back into Pokemon Go. So I've been playing Pokemon Go again for about a year. And if you haven't picked up Pokemon Go and played it since it came out, it's an actual game now. Like... It's great. It's, I would not describe it as the best game in the world, but it's very enjoyable. And there's a really good community of people around, especially where I live, who just play it. So I've gotten to meet a lot of really cool people by playing it. There's more things to do in the game now. You actually get to use your Pokemon for things as opposed to just collecting. It's, there's a lot more going on and it's really enjoyable. And I've been having a great time. And every once in a while, I'm playing Pokemon Go, and an eight-year-old walks up to me, and he's like, nobody plays that game, loser. <laughs> and... It hurts. It hurts, yeah. This is for all the eight-year-olds. Please yeah. stop. <laughs> Please stop making fun of people playing Pokemon Go. It's still happening. Lots of people play it. Niantic's worth, like, $3 billion or something, so obviously people like this game. Mm. Well, to be honest, I never stopped playing Pokemon Go. You... But I never quite went as hard as you have gone have I've gone for the, like the last the year same level of being into it but i will say you're right there is a big community about it there's probably been times when you've been out and seen a large group of people like sitting beside a statue and you're like what the heck are those people doing especially because once a month now there's community day where all the pokemon goers come out of their nerd shells and go out and collect pokemon together and you've probably seen it and been like what are all those people doing and they're playing pokemon go so I love Community Day because it's just, it's basically a time to go out with everyone and catch Pokemon. And a lot of people do it. So like Edward Gardens in Toronto gets filled with Pokemon players on Community Day. There's just, not like wall to wall, but you will be there with hundreds of other people playing Pokemon Go. And every time we do it, somebody's trying to do wedding photos. And it's great. <laughs> If you're getting married in the next little bit and you plan on taking photos at a park, please double check that it's not community that day. It's not community day. <laughs> when it's usually Real between, advice. in Toronto, it's between three and six on Saturdays. Saturdays or Sundays. They've yeah. changed it up. But yeah. And if you're feeling like hanging out with people trying Pokemon Go, community day is a great time to like get back into it. Pokemon can be shiny. 
Yeah, Pokemon can be shiny. And the odds aren't like four thou- 1 in 4,000 like they are in the games. The odds are like 1 in 450, so. So yeah, play Pokemon Go. And to all the 8-year-olds, please stop making fun of Billy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. So before we go to the Game of Thrones talk, let's just do maybe our 10 by 10 status. Oh, just like a quick update? Just a quick update. Yeah. I don't have that many more updates since our last talk. I haven't played any of my campaigns either. My 10 by 10 is going worse than ever. Um, <laughs> the only game I'm like doing okay in is Architects of the West Kingdom. And actually, Keyforge 2 is not that bad. I'm like halfway there for Keyforge and 60% of the way there for Architects. What about you? Um, I'm not doing that well with Architects, but I'm doing well in general. I have one, two, three, four, five games that are half done. Mm. I am half done Azul, Everdell, Gloomhaven, Isle of Sky, and Newton. And wow. a week from today, I'll be done Gloomhaven. Oh, so. wow. I actually am doing really good in my 100 new games just because I've been playing a lot of games as well that I've like always wanted to play but never actually played. Like, I've never played Godfather before. Oh, you got a Godfather in? Yep. And I played. Uh, Power Grid was another one that I wanted to play. Like, I never played Blood Rage before. Okay. Just like a few games that have always been on my, like, I've always wanted to play this game. And then I've been playing really great games like Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Which we will talk about at some point, yes. I am sure. I'm sure too. Two games a day is, yeah. I'm, I'm behind. I'm behind on both 100 games and two games a day, but I'm not that far behind. And I How really think played? I have played, not including solo not plays. Not including solo plays of Gonchon Club. Right? Not including digital solo yeah. plays. I've it included isn't. my... IRL solo plays of Gone. I am at 268. I'm at 261. Ooh, yeah. Wait, how many... Where am I at in your, like, played with... For 2019? Yeah. I think you're fourth or fifth. Yeah, I just want to make sure that we got the same number. I've we have 48 played games. 49 games. We'll sort that we'll out. We'll sort that out later. <laughs> and... And okay. then, just a reminder, you can reach us on Instagram. You can... Find me on Instagram, Chandler underscore WP, and Maggie's available at... Maggie Shanahanahan. Maggie Shanahanahan. And we're available on Instagram at Into the Mapleverse. And please, please, please feel free to go to our website or slide into our DMs. Ask us any questions. <laughs> we would love to hear from you. Any like feedback or anything that you kind of want... If you'd like to hear us discuss something, if you want to hear us talk about a specific game, if we got anything wrong in this episode, you can call yeah, please, us out for that, please too. Tell us. And you can also tweet us at I2MV Podcast. Yep. And like us on Facebook. <laughs> awesome. Next episode, I think we're, we're probably going to be talking about expansions. Expansions we like, expansions we didn't like, and what we're looking for when we pick up an expansion mm -hmm. expansions that we would recommend getting ones that we might not recommend getting all right cool so before we sign off shall we just talk about the game of thrones finale so yeah. just to be clear this will contain spoilers so if you have not seen all episodes of game of thrones i would recommend turning it off now but if you have this won't take long just maybe a quick talk yeah about just it. a quick minute we'll just put like a little musical interlude yeah. right here so mm -hmm. that you can turn off your podcast <laughs> Okay, so what were your thoughts, Billy? So I... Okay, no, I didn't. Uh, were you about to try and say you liked it? I was about to say that I liked a lot of it. I really liked the episode where Danny turned rogue. I thought that episode was, like, perfect. And just there were a lot of problems with pacing leading up to it. In fact, there's 
there's a YouTube video that really sums up my feelings about it. It's called, I'll, I'll pull up what it's called while Maggie's ranting in a minute. And I'll, I'll let you know what that's called. Cause I think that the video is wonderful. It's basically a guy making up the pitch meeting for season eight and he does it incredibly. It's great. I thought that video, you sent me that video. It was really good. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just let you know what it's called so you can look it up if you'd like, but I just thought it was rushed. It was very rushed. I agree. I hated it. I hated every second of it. Every second of it? Every second. Even the... I didn't hate it, but like the, even the dragon wings on Danny part, I was like, that's cool, but also what is happening? Isn't this supposed to be a segment for things we like in nerd? I still film? love Game of okay. Thrones. And if actually, if I'm going to plug anything, it's going to be Fire and Blood, the book that George R. R. Martin put out when he should have been putting out Winds of Winter instead, that I was initially like, I refuse to read this book because I just want to wait. But now I'm reading it and it's really good. So if you've read the books, I'd recommend them. I heard, I don't I don't have any like fact for this. I heard that he's visiting New Zealand next year and he's given the New Zealand government permission to not let him leave the country until he's done his next book. <gasps> I hope that's true. I was told that by my roommate. So if it's not true, I... James? <laughs> James. <laughs> Well, that's wonderful to hear, but I love Game of Thrones. I love the universe. I've really been enjoying Fire and Blood. Not finished yet, though. I don't know. I really was so dissatisfied by it. I thought that I thought that it really made basically everything that happened in the series insignificant. I thought that a dragon doesn't know what the Iron Throne is. It was the one pointy thing in the room. Yeah. I also thought that's it was really weird. I know <laughs> no one agrees with me here, but I really felt like they shot the... John stabbing Danny in a way that made it like, who got stabbed? When it's like, this is kind of stupid. I, I don't agree with you. I, no one agrees with me. <laughs> I but like, did not for a moment think John got stabbed. I, okay, I knew that he was stabbing Danny, but I was like, I feel like they shot this in a way where they wanted us to think, oh my God, who got stabbed? Because they didn't show the stabbing. They just showed both, like, you heard the stab. You saw both of them go like, <gasps> and then I thought it was, I was like annoyed by that scene, but I was annoyed by everything. Also, it just, I never really bought into the love story at all, so it kind of... I didn't either. So it kind of made it seem like... I hated it. I just, I was mad about that in season seven. I was like, this is just uninteresting. Yeah, it was weird because, like, I really bought John and Egret's story, but maybe it's because, like, in real life, they're actually in love. And even Cal Drogo and Daenerys, like, I was more on board with them and, like, wanted to be on board with John and Daenerys, but, like, I didn't want to be on board with it. I wanted to be. Like, I just, I hated the idea of it from back when I first read theories that, oh, they're going to end up together. And I was like, I hope not. That's just so boring. I agree that that's boring. And I wish that, like, him being Aegon Targaryen was just so insignificant. Yeah. But, like, I guess maybe that's what they wanted to happen. So I read this thing on Reddit that how someone has hypothesized this is how it's supposed to go in the books. In the books, there is a character... That's completely excluded from the uh, show. Potential book spoilers here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Potential book spoilers. We're just going to go for it. But there's a... You've read the books, right? Babe? No. You haven't read the books? No. I thought you had. I started reading book one and I was like, this is shot for shot Game of Thrones season one. And I've seen that three times. Well, then I'm going to not say this. No, cause... I don't care. You can you can say it. I've, I know things. I don't care. I'm... Are you trying to be cool right now? Against... <laughs> no. I am not as aggressively against spoilers as you are. I've enough has been spoiled from watching the series. I don't care that you're going to tell me about the guy from the Golden Company or whatever. I'm not. Not him, but like some guy over in who the guy who's like says he's Aegon Targaryen. I know I've heard. Okay, so there's like this Mamre <laughs> Dragon, but actually in the book, like 
I fully believed that he was actually a Targaryen. Like, they haven't really... The only evidence that he's not a real Targaryen is, like, the prophecies that Daenerys has heard. Like, even Tyrion meets him and thinks he's an actual Targaryen. And I don't remember the books super well, to be honest, but in the end, I'm pretty sure this Targaryen is now in Westeros. And I think what they've done in the series, the TV series, is they've made Cersei the main villain. But in the books, the theory that I read is that this fake Targaryen is actually going to get on the throne. He's going to rule, but everyone's going to like him. Not everyone, obviously, it's never going to be perfect, but like there's somewhat peace in the Seven Kingdoms. Then Daenerys is going to arrive and be like, I am the real Targaryen. This guy's not actually a Targaryen, and no one's going to give a shit because there's peace, and that's going to be what makes her go crazy. And I think I'd be way more satisfied with that. Yeah, that does sound really good. Are you mad about the spoiler? No, I don't care. I mean, it's not even a real spoiler because this is just a random theory. Anyways, was really disappointed with the finale, but I don't really feel like remaking the season is like an option. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously not. Yeah. If they wanted to do it better, they would have done it better. Mm. That's how I feel. They they wanted to rush it. They wanted to be done with it. Anyway, I just want to say that I really liked Jamie's arc. I like that he was this guy who redeemed himself and then unredeemed himself because I believed it. I believed that somebody would go through all that and still fall back on their vice. The only part of Jamie's story I didn't like was that he banged Brienne because I don't think that would have actually happened. I think, again, that needed more time. I think that moment that we got for like 30 minutes would have actually been two and a half episodes. Also at the ending, I feel like it was kind of ambiguous, which I don't like. Was John going north to become a wildling? Or is he the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch? I think maybe... I I don't think... I think it was ambiguous. My hope is that the idea is that the Night's Watch are no longer tied to the castles. Right. Because... What are they watching now? Because it doesn't matter. And they can actually the just go... hang. Like... <laughs> they can actually go, like, populate the space above. Yeah. Anyway, we should probably sign <laughs> off now. Yeah. Anyways, thanks for listening to us talk about Game of Thrones. Yeah, thank you. This has been Into the Meepleverse. I'm Billy. I'm Maggie. Bye. Into the Meepleverse. Was that acceptable? That was acceptable. (laughs) All right.